This is a HeadGum Podcast. The discussions on Robot Congress are for entertainment purposes and to help correct random people on the internet. Any law discussed is general commentary only and not to be taken as legal advice. Specific facts will always alter the case. Have a problem? Hit the gym and lawyer up. Hello and welcome to Robot Congress. I am Ryan Morrison, joined as always by Allison Rothman and Austin Hoffman. Hi, guys. Hello. Hello. This week we have a special treat. We're joined by Sean McKenzie, Director of Game Publishing at Armor Games, one of our oldest clients, favorite clients, and best people I know. Uh, Sean, thanks for joining us. Thank you for having me. That's a lot to live up to. That's right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, we were having breakfast last year at this point at GDC, and we were talking about the podcast and also just what you guys were working on. Or, or sorry, I, I actually think you guys were just discussing some of the the publishing, uh, you know, hills and valleys you were dealing with at the time. And we said, you know, this would be an amazing podcast episode. I don't think many people really understand what a publisher does, how they operate, how they find games, et cetera, et cetera. And the goal of today is to fill in those gaps, you know, take the mystery away from what a publisher does when they find a developer they like. Uh, and we have more and more non-gaming listeners. Uh, for some reason, I don't know why any of you are here, uh, <laughs> even the gaming listeners, but thanks for listening. Uh, Actually, Ryan, me, you throw out a lot of letters. Be What's yeah, GDC, GDC, yeah, Ali brought in the, the funk and the new list. Uh, but but GDC is uh, the Game Developers Conference. It's the end-all, be-all event of conferences every year for the gaming industry. It is not E3. They don't really, I mean, there's some, but they don't really show off games. It's it's not for that. It's the behind the, the it's the back end of the business event. It's where my firm does most of its business, meets most of its clients. Uh, and everyone who is anybody in the gaming industry is is at GDC, uh, and if you are a student listening to this, I know we have many or somebody trying to break into the gaming industry, I absolutely would make sure you go to GDC. And if you are a game developer and you don't go to GDC, then according to Brian's definition, then you're not a game developer. <laughs> that's, that's correct. That's correct. <laughs> Just give up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah. So so that's the the uh, the goal of today. And, and I think that uh, for the people who do not know to follow up on where I was going – developers are the people who actually make the game and publishers are usually the big brother in the relationship who come in and either fund the game or help market the game or help these smaller indie developers or sometimes larger developers really publish go public and as wide as possible and become a hit uh there's so a the lot here that is my mind we have the game developers which are the three people in like white shirts they're a little bit stained from pizza and they're sitting in a dark room and they're looking at, the, you know, like CRT monitors <laughs> and they're typing away and they're making games in their DOS and their different like game languages. Sure. And then the publishers are like the cool guys that come with surfboards and they say, hey, we'll show you how to turn your game into fame. So, Sean, is that basically a summary? Do we even need to do the episode anymore? I, I think that's a wrap. That was, that was game I, I can add no fame. further. Wow, that's as bad as those terrible lawyer I'm, ads. Yeah, that surfboard mean, dude definitely has like a six pack and a six pack of beer. Yeah. <laughs> 
We don't generally provide beer, but I will say if there are three pizza-stained individuals out there, please reach out. I would love to. Yeah, uh, <laughs> you can tell how good a game developer is by how many pizza stains are on his shirt. That actually Austin's not wrong about. Uh, <laughs> uh, so, okay, so l- let's start at the beginning. I am Joe Smo, indie developer. I have medium pizza stains, so I'm making a, a, a decent game. Uh, there's a lot of other people out there making games. There's thousands of indie developers right now, if not hundreds of thousands. Uh, how on earth do you as a publisher start this process? Do, do you wait for people to come to you and apply? Do you go out and scout out good games? What is at least Armor Games uh, uh, policy there? I mean, it's a it's a mix of quite a few different things. So we have, uh, we have an email address that is on our website. I can give it maybe at the end of the show that you can use to reach out to us. That goes to... Do it now. Plug away. Oh, yeah. All right. Well... Uh, round table, as in, you know, Knights of the Round Table, because we're clever like that. Um, round table <laughs> at Armor Games is where we get uh, just what you might call like a cold pitch if you're a developer and you heard of us for whatever reason and just want to send us information about your game. Um, you can hit us there. So we get we get a lot of pitches that way. Um, we get a lot of repeat and let's, business. Well, let's pause there. Oh, what, sure. When you get a pitch, what makes it stand out? You know, what makes you, oh, I'm actually going to look into this rather than I'm sure you get a horde of ones that are not so great or don't really catch your attention. Um, it's, a, it's, again, a mix of things. And, uh, you know, some of them are specific to the game. Some of them are specific to the team. And some of them are specific to whether we'd be a fit for that, you know, uh, that particular game. So... Uh, you know, first and foremost, I think we're looking for uh, people who've sort of well thought through their what they're what they're trying to create and why it needs to exist. And that doesn't mean that you know you, every game needs to be a diamond in the rough, but it's a very crowded space. And you know, Armor Games is we're you know we're not a huge fish in the public uh, publishing space, but we're not a, we're not a tiny fish either. So we have to rely on uh, games that have you know, hooks or, or a very special team behind it or a special story behind it. So, you know, we're looking for something that we think will stand on its own against the ocean of games that are out there. All right. Um, but the medium sized fish, like you describe yourself as those are like the best bang for buck as far as like taste that you get versus how much you can have. Oh God. All right. So, so <laughs> I was waiting for it. Um, but, but I mean, to that point aside, we actually should have started with that. You say you're not the, the big guy. No. You're not the little guy. What is the history of armor games? Cause I, I, I have known you guys for a very long time. I for sure consider you one of the, you know, on the side of the bigger guys versus the smaller guys, but maybe I'm mistaken, you know, take us well, through the history of armor. I mean, sure. And to be fair, like maybe I shouldn't be characterizing our size because I don't know that the size is, is the best metric. Um, right. It's the color and, of the fish's scales. Okay. Sure. <laughs> sure. Um, you know, the motion of the ocean, the fish is a, <laughs> sorry, continue. <laughs> something, something pizza stains. Yeah. <laughs> No, you know, Armor Games has been around for, you know, don't, you can look this up, but quote, uh, 10, 12, 13 years, uh, you know, as a, as a, a flash portal. So we've been supporting, you know, indie games in the web sense of the world for a really long oh. time. And for people and, who don't know what that is, I used to have an office job uh, when I was a younger Ryan, where paid, I think, 13 an hour. And I would sit there and literally go to Armor Games and play all day. And I'm not even exaggerating. It was Armor Games. There was, it, it's a, a flash portal like that those websites they would have hundreds of smaller simpler games and it was so much fun to just sit there and try out all the different stuff you guys had yeah it's you know uh john cooney um who recently joined us uh, he's our biz dev guy you know he he 
he gave a talk a GDC or two ago. It, it all blends together. Uh, but you know, he called the the Flash postmortem, and he and he talked about how um, you know Flash games were sort of the original indie games. They were accessible to everybody. They were taking a lot of weird risks and trying different mechanics and doing all these interesting different things. And 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 that's actually a pretty decent segue into you know the publishing side of the business because a lot of our relationships that we built through that exact delivery of you know indie games through the web um, came through with us into the publishing space which has been interesting because you know <laughs> putting a flash game out there is very different than putting a a game you're going to try and ask money for and 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 you know it comes with a lot of other expectations and there's a lot of more there's more marketing and there's more you know there's just a lot more but uh it's been really great to have that seed as a place for us to start and find some of our first developers and uh you know a lot of them are still with us today so a lot of them you know they go back 10 plus games with us massive monster did a ton of web games with us and we've done the adventure pals and never give up with them you know uh script welder did I, I don't even know but he had the i don't know the exact number but he did uh i think three uh, don't escape games who did the fourth on steam recently and we're, we're going to be bringing some of his flash titles as a collection onto steam so you know anyway to get back to the story of armor games I just want to be completely clear here for a moment. Now, uh, f- now n- uh, not for not for me, obviously, but for our audience. Uh, for Flash games, now those are like in-browser games, kind of like those old Newgrounds games that I used to play when I was a kid. Not me, Ex- audience. <laughs> exactly like the old Newgrounds games. Yeah. You know, it was from the era of Armor Games, Newgrounds, Congregate, you know, Addicting Games, uh, not Doppler. These are all sites we all sort of I- – I had the same story you did. Ryan, uh, you know, a summer job and spent a lot of time. Right. For me, it was actually new. You grounds, also which... got a job to just play games. <laughs> well, I was. I so we could we could go deep into my weird <laughs> no. weird background <laughs> here, but I do that. <laughs> I uh, I did have a summer job uh, migrating laptops for sales reps at a large drug company, and there was a lot of downtime, and I spent a lot of time on new grounds and, and uh. games and. Yeah, I, I mean, Newgrounds was the, the most famous one for sure because you weren't supposed to be on it. It was like the bad boy website. Yeah, you're uh, on our school. Yeah, but yeah. I'm not blowing smoke because you're on the podcast. I mean, Armor sure, was sure. was absolutely right up there with them. They had oh, – uh, no doubt. Yeah, so – and that's incredible. So uh, – and then transitioning to an actual publisher is is happened how long ago? So I've been with the company about three years, and, and that's sort of how I mark – um, how long we've been publishing, but that's not fully accurate. You know, we uh, we published a title or two prior to that, but it wasn't really a publishing machine at that point. It was a right. full-time publishing. And, yeah, it kind of worked out nicely that I was leaving a job and reached out to Dan McNeely, the, the owner of Armor, and, uh, about three years ago and said, hey, look, I'm looking for work. And they were starting to build this publishing uh, wing and so I kind of came on and we've been <laughs> figuring it out ever since. But right. you know, it's it's been uh, it's really wonderful to have that website as the start starting conversation with both developers and platform holders, you know, Apple, Google, Nintendo, whomever, because publishers tend to spring up out of anywhere. You know, you need money to get started, and you can kind of say, "I'm a publisher now." And and I think having that website and having that history helps get the conversation started. Um, it, For it sure. It us a little bit. Yeah, it makes you stand out amongst the the plethora of other people claiming mm-hmm. such a title that don't really have a lot to offer. But okay, let's say I'm one of those guys that submitted uh, at the roundtable. My game stood out. You're interested mm-hmm. in it. Uh, we don't have to get into the specific 
negotiation tactics you would use or or, or the uh, actual deal points. But let's say we get through that and now I'm with you. What should I be expecting my publisher to do? This is a question we get all the time, by the way, from a lot of our clients. And it's not necessarily the same across the board. So Right. Yeah. Well, so I'm going to drop a big disclaimer, which you guys will probably appreciate. <laughs> um, my publishing experience sort of begins and ends with with Armor. So I will mostly speak to what I think what I think a publisher uh, should do. And, and that's based largely on what we've done and we've seen successful. You know, publishers out there that aren't doing these things might have different goals than we do. And sure. I don't want to suggest that they're not doing a good job or they're not. I will. Anyone who's not Armor Games is bad. So uh, no, with that in mind, I'm kidding. But Round with that in table mind. At Armor Games. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but really, so what, what should I be expecting if I want to work with a publisher like Armor Games? Well, um, so, you know, for, first and foremost, like we tend to position ourselves as a publisher that will be complementary to your skill set. Um, which is different for every game developer. So some game developers come to us with, you know, they're a really good handle of marketing. They've already got this hook. They're trending on Twitter, whatever. And so, yeah, we'll provide marketing support as most publishers will, but maybe they feel they're more deficient in, you know, managing platform relations, which is a very common thing for most developers. What does that mean? Yeah, let's pause there because that is something that, that so many of my clients do not appreciate. You need a, you don't need a publisher for, but publishers really can help. Everything in the world, every industry on earth comes down to relationships and having a publisher who speaks to these platforms every day and can open up a dialogue better than you cold emailing Apple or cold emailing Microsoft goes such a long way. So, so speak about what that actually entails and, and what a developer should be getting excited about, about your relationships there or, or with another publisher. When you say relationships with platforms, you mean like Steam and like PlayStation? Yep. Steam, kind of PlayStation, stuff? Apple, Google, Nintendo. You know, the whole the whole okay. gamut and seems like every day a new one emerges. That's right. Um, which uh, I'm yeah, hiding my uh, disdain a little bit. I, I don't I love that. There's <laughs> I love I do. I love that there's competition, but man, it, it, it complicates things, um, <laughs> doesn't it? So the interesting thing is, like, I think there's this stigma with publishers that is is that we're somehow a gatekeeper, like you can't talk to these platforms without a publisher. And that's not true. And I don't mean to suggest that you you can't benefit from a publisher. Obviously, you can. It's what keeps me uh, getting up in the morning every day. But platform relations entails largely how frequently to speak to a platform, um, how to present your information in a way that respects their time, which I think is a really big thing that developers don't necessarily know how to do, and rightfully so. I mean, they, they've got their heads down. They're focusing on how to make a great game and what the art should be like and finding a musician or whatever. And these are the these are all the things that developers should be focused on, which sidebar is, I think, one of the major strengths of a good publisher is we do all the things that have to be done that you don't necessarily have to do so that you can focus on the stuff that started this conversation in the first place. Which I could do a whole episode on just that. Uh, we certainly we, can if you'd like. <laughs> no, I, I mean, just a, really like the, the that is so important to me when I speak to my clients. We have mm-hmm. so many talented game developers, straight up geniuses come to us with ideas or pitches or projects that they're working on. And what they don't realize is they're they're never going to sell it. They don't listen to us or they don't listen to their peers or the the countless uh, failure stories out there 
that you need a business guy. And if you don't have that business guy, the publisher can fill that hole many times. Sure. Uh, so many studios are so hellbent against, well, what do you even do here? You know, what, what's your job? If, if you're not programming and you don't do art, why are you even here? You know, you just call people all day. Well, right. sure, but that guy is the only reason anyone's going to see your game. Right. Good games very seldomly stand out just because they're good games. The market's too flooded. And I think that's what you guys bring to the table that a lot of other publishers can bring to the table and just a good biz dev guy can bring to the table. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's missing from so many studios. You need that that jobs to Wozniak, right? Because <laughs> you, you need both sides of the brain of the company. That way, everything can just move forward. I want it on the record that he compared us to geniuses, not not we didn't make that comparison. <laughs> um, oh no, I'm I'm just very complimentary to people in general. Oh, that's very nice. Oh, oh really? I haven't gotten a compliment from you my whole life. <laughs> Allie, that is only because you are so fantastic that I would worry that compliment Too little, you too late. Yeah, your yeah, mind yeah, so yeah. you would float to the sky. Oh yeah, well I can actually get on board with that. She's uh hubris <laughs> out the door. Yes. Also I'm pretty sure nope. I could find my, evidence in the past of complimenting you. Ah. <laughs> uh, uh, all right. So oh, you're, so you're speaking to these platforms and what is the goal there? Uh, in yesteryear, all anyone cared about was that feature spot in the app store, that feature spot on, on any kind of marketplace. Does that matter anymore? I'm, I'm hearing more and more it, that being featured doesn't translate into anything anymore. It matters, matters to me as a consumer. <laughs> well, yeah, um, it matters, but it matters in a different way, I think. And, and I have, you know, to be fair, my experience with this warranty is warrantied for about three years. But even in that time, I've seen the diminishing returns of a feature, but it's still valuable just in a very different way. So, you know, like, you know, like Ali said, uh, it, it does catch consumers eyes. And while one feature may not be a money geyser, um, it does get a wish list. It does signal to other developers and other players that you're, you know, you're relevant. Um, but I mean, I've got, goal... a little, uh, I've got a little insider tip for you uh, as, as, a, as a heavy indie game <laughs> consumer. Uh, Hold is... on. Let me let me let me let me lick my pen yeah, here. Take out your, you your pens. Pen? Okay, so go ahead. if if your game pops up on that uh, that super cool steam pop up window that comes up when you start steam, I will look at it. Well, we've had some on, games pause, do uh, that. Hold on, everyone pause. So, let's, let's let the listeners uh, write that down so they can. Yeah, I want you to fully take that in. <laughs> I realize that these are insider industry secrets that I'm spilling, and I'll probably start seeing the inside of a very cushy cell soon. But <laughs> yeah, you got You got You're breaching God knows how many NDAs. Plus, you should be charging for consulting at such say, a high we're level. Lose him to that yeah. Soon. Uh, Ali, <laughs> it's really interesting you said that because you are admittedly newer to games, but you play now. You you shop, you look around the indie space a bit. Uh, what when I open the app store, and even to you joking aside, Austin, like I will not look at that Steam pop up. They've become pop up ads to me. I can't close mm-hmm. them fast enough. Uh, mm-hmm. When I used to see a feature and, and it would catch my eye, and I'd look at it. Uh, so, Ali, when you're, what does a feature? mean to you? Do you always check them out? Do they catch your eye? Why are you even in a place that you're seeing them? Yeah, well, I mean, most of you guys know, I know Sean knows this, we've talked a lot about it. But um, I love my retro games. And I love <laughs> my Nintendo Switch. Mm-hmm. Um, and when I get bored of something I'm playing, and I'm just looking for something new, that's for sure the first place I go to check out what's up there. And while I know it's it's a little bit inflated, for lack of better term. It's kind of the same thing as having 
like uh, influencer ads. You see that on social media. And while you know they're being paid to advertise it, it's still subconsciously in your mind signals to you. Maybe I should check it out. Yeah. The adver- hey. Advertising works. That's why it's, they, it's so much money spent on it. Even the ads that drive me crazy on Twitch and elsewhere, uh, they work. I mean, I bought Soylent. You know, it, it's it, there uh, for a reason. It helps you find the products that you need. Why can't you curse? I can't say shit, can I? Why? It's your podcast. The listeners don't like that. Well, then don't I curse. Yeah. Okay. Oh, I mean, wait. Yeah, definitely don't say those words. That ish was gross. <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting because I would never today shop. If I wanted a new game, a new whatever, I would not open the app store and browse. I would go to Twitter, Reddit, whatever, ask friends. Uh, I think the way I consume or find things has changed so dramatically. You crowdsource answers. Well, you you, I have, you ask people, hey, what should I play? What uh, anime should I watch? Well, I've never asked what anime to watch. I would never do that. But it's, it's uh, <laughs> please don't unsubscribe. Uh, but <laughs> but, but jokes aside, show. yeah, but jokes aside, I don't think, uh, I don't <laughs> think I'm alone on an island with that. I think most well, people that- don't browse the app store anymore, right? Well, just you'd be surprised. I'm okay. I'm in your camp. I tend to get you know if my brother or someone I work with says you got to play this, I just go and buy it. Like that's right. just the way I buy games. But let me make this distinction because I think this is this is a this is one of many things I could talk about that publishers do or should do that are not obvious to a game developer. So the obvious thing is, yeah, it's we're angling for features or for to be considered to be uh, part of a sale or whatever. Um, a more under the surface piece of this is to demonstrate to the platforms that we know how to approach them, that we're easy to work with, that we can, I don't want to say play ball because it's not, it's not like we're kowtowing to them or anything, but that we can, that we can work with them, you know, platforms, uh, let's just, I don't know, say Apple as an example, they constantly hear every day from every, every developer, Hey, feature my game. Hey, feature my game. And, and, and one thing that I don't think developers think about um, that publishers very much do, or at least we do at Armor Games, they hear that from everybody. And as a platform is to say, okay, great. Like, but I can't be the only way your game is successful. I can't be the only thing you're doing. So being able to say as a publisher, you know, look, we can respect your time. We can present stuff we know has value to you. Um, it, we're not just going to throw everything we have at you. We're going to write concise emails that have pertinent information. We're going to do it in a regular, timely, predictable fashion. We have developed a, a professional relationship with them, but you know the goal isn't always the the first thing on the list, which would be the feature. So you reach out to them and you say, "Hey, uh, you know, I want to. We're going to launch this date. We would like some coverage, and maybe you don't get that. But if you do it in the right way, you might get the next thing on the list or, and this is the other piece of working with a publisher, there's kind of a halo effect. Like they know us as Armor Games and they know what to expect from working with us as Armor Games. If you're Nintendo, if you have to work with every single developer, you don't know what to expect from every single developer. But if you can come to us and work with us and get 15, 20 games, the same cadence, the same sort of treatment, one game might help another game, one game might get to some sort of favor there's you know there's no there's nothing um, i feel like i'm making this sound like there's these back alley deals going and really it's just no, not really it's no it's, really, it's not it's not that it's, it's it's the same as 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 i said earlier every industry and excuse me i have a cold uh every industry comes down to relationships what you're saying reminds me so much of what i do every day at my agency evolved every team owner 
is DM'd, emailed, messaged every hour by thousands of players saying, please sign me, please sign me, please sign me. Right. I'm the best. What we do is we have we develop relationships. So not only do they listen to us, but we also put together a concise, clear, uh, professional mm-hmm. resume, a pitch. We, we put forward the proposal. And your chances of signing with a team are mm-hmm. so much higher if you have an agent than if you're just a player yelling at a team owner to, to sign right. them. Same with a developer to get featured in the store or even just have good placement in the store or whatever it might be. You guys, because you work with them so much, you're opening up that dialogue more often and you have a more clear path to success. My train of thought came back. And one of the things I was going to say, which might sound a little cheesy, but is true. um, A lot of what we do, a lot of what I do, I write a lot of emails. We get on a lot of calls. Um, At the end of the day, we're, we're actually trying to get people under the other side of the table, the, the platform holders, to think of us as humans they actually want to help, which is another, I think, important distinction. Um, that's not to say that a, a developer can't do that. But again, you get sort of this halo effect of we're regularly talking to them, we're building a relationship. And when they get an email from us, it's not an email from guy with game. It's, <laughs> hey, hey, it's Sean. I, he was a nice guy. He's He was respected my time. And and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to at least I'm going to at least hear him out. Exactly um, right. And, and yeah. <laughs> and and so it's a it's a necessity of us, I think, to be able to maintain that kind of relationship with them. But it, it's also born from uh, you know, to go back to earlier in the in the the podcast, you were asking, you know, when we get a pitch, what are we looking for? Part of what we're looking for is some of the same very same things that we give to platform holders uh or platforms when uh you know we approach them. We're looking for concise emails, we're looking for uh, something that's very clearly not just, you know, sprayed across every email address they could find, you know, it's a filter we, process. Yeah. And we loved, we love to hear, you know, why did you reach out to armor games or did you just reach out to anybody who, who is a publisher? You know, so, so these are, these are the kinds of things that we do in turn when we, when we deal with, with platforms. So when yeah. you say that platforms know what to expect from you as a publisher, does mm-hmm. that mean that like w- that you're filtering that you're choosing like specific genres of games to publish? Like I, uh, for, I know you said there's a lot of things that go into whether or not you pick a game up. For some publishers, yes, I think that would be the case. Um, for us, that's not really the case. We're we're kind of all over the place in terms of genres, but I think well, you just released a game. Why don't you you talk a little bit about it? Specific if you're. Are, if you're wanting to uh, speak about the game you guys just put out and, and uh, you know, to give an example of something you might work on. Well, let me talk about Void Tyrant, actually, because this one sure. just this just this is a, maybe a perfect example. And it has um, a fantastic name. Thank you. <laughs> um, and real quick before I get into that and what that was like working with the with Apple and Google, you know, to answer your question, Austin, when I say they know what to expect from us, that that means, you know, how we're going to treat them. Uh, what they're going to get quality communication, but also like they know we're not going to bring them garbage, you know, like they're, they're not going to have to filter. Like we've already pre-filtered the games that we're going to put in front of them, mm-hmm. which is comfortable for them. Cause I'm sure they get a hundred thousand times the emails that I get. So, you know, that's a piece of it, but no, not, not necessarily genre stuff. Okay. Yeah, so, so with void tyrant as an example, which, uh, you know, was the game of the day on the app store yesterday because of uh, the cadence that we, we keep when we uh, reach out to Apple. You know, we are regularly hitting them roadmaps of all of our game stuff as far as eighteen months out. Um, we're very communicative about um, why we think they're worth their worth Apple's time and why we think they're worth putting in their store. 
you know, because this is another thing. Um, Apple in particular cares very much about the experience of their users, whether people agree that the experience on the app store or in a game on an, on an iPhone is good or not. I don't think anyone would argue that Apple puts experience at a premium. Um, and so we, we spend a lot of time demonstrating uh, that we, first of all, know that and that we're communicating that to our developers and making sure we're being respectful of what we're asking them to put on the store and hopefully feature. Uh, but we're doing it in a concise and regular fashion and they appreciate it. You know, we, we meet with them every year at GDC and they're always very thankful that, you know, I mean, they're just like Apple, Nintendo, pick anyone you want. They're mm-hmm. no different than the rest of us. They get a ton of emails. They have hard jobs. The discoverability problem we have as consumers, they have as as storefronts. One of the main things publishers do that everyone knows they do is help market and advertise and make sure that people who buy games can find those games. So we, we talked about being featured and things like that. There's so much more to it than that, obviously. Part of marketing is also doing things like going on Robot Congress and talking about a game you just had come out. Uh, so you just you just released uh, Nauticrawl, and that's N-A-U-T-I-C-R-A-W-L, and on Steam. So everyone go check it out. But tell us a little bit about the game, the marketing strategy, and, and maybe this one's different than others, but just uh, dig into that a little bit. I would love to. I love this game so very much. And I'm not saying that as a plat- as a as a publisher. That's just me as a this I is love one of all those- my children the same. Do you yeah, have sure. to publish games that you hate sometimes? Um no, but we we do talk we do <laughs> what a we, what a fantastic answer. <laughs> we we do talk about that, you know, and we do ask we've we've been hiring a little bit and we do ask that question like could you support a title that you you that you don't like or that you don't believe in and we have kind of a a democratic system for bringing games in to some extent. So it, it's not something that comes up very often. Like oh, we, okay. we work, we work really, really hard on every title, long hours, crazy robot Congress ideas. <laughs> and, <laughs> and we all really want to work on games that we love because we put so much of ourselves into them. So we kind of protect from ever having to do that. But I mean, if you want a straight answer, absolutely. I mean, I can give it my all on <laughs> a game that is not for me. So, yeah, it's actually really funny. I, uh, I just got an email. This was yesterday from another publisher that we're across the table from. Awesome. You know how you can tell a story is going to be good? It's when the person says it's going to be really funny. That always means it's going to be really funny. Excuse me. You can't tell me that that's wrong because I believe (laughs) that that is how late night talk shows always start is we've got a great show for you tonight. That's fair. Okay. Actually, so he's, can he's I go right. Robot Congress with that every time. We've got a great episode for you today. Alec, continue your your hilarious story. So he goes, this is probably only funny to lawyer people because <laughs> he's obnoxious but I'll let you know. already, she's already backtracking whatever <laughs> he, he says uh so you insinuate that i don't give the same love and affection to all my children <laughs> and he goes parents can give the same love and affection to all their children while also acknowledging that one child needs extra hugs <laughs> and i think that's true that's uh, fair that oh. is fair yeah. Do, you, do you agree, Sean? <laughs> <laughs> Meaning like uh, some of your, your games might need an extra hug or two. It's so much harder <laughs> answering questions like these on the record directly to lawyers. Um, no, I or attorneys. Is there a difference? I'm not a law guy. There's um, not. OK, well, we learned a thing. Synonym. Although, please stop tweeting at me. Please stop tweeting at me. Please stop tweeting at me. I know that I think technically and historically one meant 
you passed the bar but weren't sworn in yet or you graduated. Well, you it go. doesn't matter. Lawyer and attorney in 2019 are the same word in America. In Virginia, anyone who passes the yeah, bar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not doing that. In Virginia, a lot of things happen, Austin, <laughs> that we don't care about. Oh, no. I broke the podcast. Yeah, we're good. <laughs> No, I, I can already, I can already see the the furious typing. Well, actually, attorney means blah blah. You know, it's the same thing. So I I, I, I do agree with that to a, to a certain extent. And and that it's nothing a, great happens in Virginia. <laughs> I have a lot of family in Virginia, so yes. <laughs> oh yes, no. Um, <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I. You know, some games need a little more to get where that doesn't. It's not necessarily because the one developer is better than another. It just just means that there's, uh, you know, more challenges with one than another. I mean, Nauticrawl, not to steer us back to that oh, know, conversation, do. but that's a perfect example. Like we took we took on Nauticrawl. Maybe before I dive into, it, let me talk a little bit about what the game is. So Nauticrawl is a game that puts you in at the helm of this big steampunk machine with levers and buttons and monitors and all kinds of craziness and doesn't give you any help and where is this machine well you don't know that uh until you play through the game but you know in theory it's it's sort of on this unknown planet and you are a rogue uh escaping from an oppressive society that's basically relegated you to a mining class and you've stolen this machine that's not meant for you and you're trying to use it not for what it was intended, but to get the heck out of there. So um, it's got a really sort of intriguing story. It was uh, Andrea, the developer, he's about the same age, late 30s, and he grew up playing uh, dungeon crawlers and roguelikes. And he he loved these sort of obtuse, difficult games of the 80s that I'm sure we've all played. And so he took elements from those and ripped them apart and reassembled them into this thing that, you know, at first glance doesn't have anything to do with those. But if you look, you'll see... uh, where they came from you'll see the corners of roguelikes and dungeon crawlers and 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 this wonderful sort of escape room game that it is but we actually knew... ryan what's one of your favorite old games harvest that... moon nope no <laughs> i have that before. on my shelf behind me I wish it's great a podcast uh i mean the, the the one you're referring to is gateway correct Yes, that is the one that I am referring to. Thank you. Which, which no one has heard of, but uh, I, I think right, I've but heard I've heard of it because of you. Yeah, yeah, and I made you <laughs> which play it. It's, it's tens of thousands of people have hey, heard of it because of you. Whatever happened to Gateway Computers? Nope. <laughs> no. No. <laughs> what are you, Austin? Now they're just they're hanging you're, out. You're just out loud, guys. I would there. be honored. <laughs> yeah. It's it's the dude. You're getting a Gateway computer. Right. Uh, so, yeah, Ali's just doing word association out loud now, which is all Austin does the entire <laughs> podcast. Oh, pizza. That reminds me of uh, people. I don't know. Anyway, I'm starving. So to bring it back to Nauticrawl a bit, you know, we this was a particular game that we took on knowing to be a challenge. And in so many different senses of the word, the, designing a game that is by default supposed to stump you and not help you is really not typically the way you go about game development. But we loved that about it. Um, and it feeds into that what I was thing that I was talking about at the very beginning of the podcast, which is finding games that have something different to offer. Um, and so the marketing in that one in particular was was challenging because it's really hard to talk about a game that is supposed to be very secretive. It's really hard to talk about a game uh, like we couldn't lead with, hey, it's a roguelike or hey, it's a dungeon crawl those things are packed with assumptions it's like telling somebody oh you're going to go see this romantic comedy you immediately have an idea of what that means and that wasn't true for nauticrawl even though it was the genesis we did some stuff internally as we always do social media and and 
posting regular announcements on Steam and, and reaching out to other developers because other developers are great mavens because they get your game on a level that players won't necessarily initially, or at least they'll appreciate it on the level and, you know, people follow developers and, you know, there you have it. But uh, we actually, as we do with many games, uh, worked with a third party, you know, to market the game. Um, so we worked with a company uh, named Game If You Are. Um, they're out of the UK. And, you know, they were a particularly good fit for this one because they, you know, this one kind of flew in under the radar. And with indie games, it's it's a little harder to get press's attention really far in advance unless you're, you know, a Stardew Valley or some other game that's already got a full head of steam. It's really hard to hit up press nine months ahead of time and know that they'll follow you for nine months, you know, all the way through to launch. Uh, it's doable, but it's not always the approach. And with a game that was this kind of tricky to explain and it asks a lot of the the player in this case a journalist you know they did an amazing job of matching journalists with the game in in a way that you know oh so is that how that works they they know like game journalists like let's say on i don't know like whatever video game website that writes articles about that stuff they pick the journalist for the game yeah so it, it works kind of like that although not specifically you can't necessarily go polygon and say i want bill to write this piece um but you know they've been doing this a while they have much like we do a rolodex of you know people that they work with and they know their tastes and interests and so they start by reaching out to you know earlier than maybe the larger pool that would ultimately get reached out to uh with some you know here's an early look we think it's they do the same this it all (laughs) it's all relationships like you said ryan you know they do the same thing that we do they go Hey, John, I, I know you like this kind of game. Here's why I think it's a fit for you. Could you take a look at it? You know, and, and so they there there is some strategic uh, selection of press. You don't always get who you reach out to, but, you know, they in particular and, and you know, many PR firms uh, that do this are, are, are very good at marrying the right people to the right games in the same right. way. We, and yeah, you, don't have, did the- you don't email Polygon, you email your guy at Polygon. And that's and that's what I mean by that. And it's it's true for all of this stuff. And it's such an important part of the job. So, Sean, I have a question for you. If you could give a developer one tip, a quick, easy tip for every developer for either finding a publisher or just general success tips for their game that they probably don't think of because you've seen this so many times, what would it be? Well, I mean, I should probably give something about reaching out to a publisher, but Paul <laughs> <laughs> Armour Games. I, I, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go a different direction. Uh, I I think the piece of advice I would give is that don't be too protective of your what you're working on, and people are getting better that better at this. I can now feel than the I, developers tightening up as well as you so, say that. Mo- yeah, and most the thing is, my most baby. Developers, yeah, it's <laughs> like it's not done. It's not ready to be shown, and because they're 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 afraid that it's going to be perceived wrong too early and then they're toast or whatever for whatever reason um some people might cringe at my saying this but i i firmly believe nothing is too early to show you know like a wow. an early an early, with some exception i mean there's some exception where if you if you show stuff way too early and it's connected to a title <laughs> that's going to live and and you it's all of a sudden like you know, you're fighting against your own concept art for the rest of your eternity, then okay, that's a problem. But most people aren't going to run into that. What you want, marketing your game and yourself, which is another important distinction, I think, for developers, like you're selling yourself as much as you are your game. You want to get people to see what you're working on almost is it well, okay, let me rephrase. You want 
you are very likely waiting too long to show what you're working on. Whatever that means to you, that's a piece of advice I would give. And that's such good advice because it goes for everything from writers working on a screenplay to whatever. It's just do it. Write the damn thing. Publish the damn thing. Show the damn thing. Uh, You know, that's that's old advice. And and in this context, what you're saying makes so much sense because you can go on Screenshot Saturday, for example, the hashtag every Saturday of any developers showing off their games Mm -hmm. and you see magic stuff that's building hype and and these developers are getting feedback and everything's really cool. Uh, And then you see the guys who just, you know, lock away forever. They're building a game that's that might never come out and there's no hype building. There's no opportunity to market or get feedback before it's too late. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I get that you have an artistic vision, you want to do it, but understand that that doesn't that's not the way to make a successful business. That's an it's a way to be an artist. Right. That's how you get Dwarf Fortress. (laughs) Yeah, it's I mean, it's it's also easy to get, I think, a little jaded by your own stuff. And you you lose sight of what's interesting to other people, especially other people who aren't game developers. Like the simplest thing might be interesting to them, a weird glitch that happened. Share it. You know, it's humanizing. It's interesting. It's not. You know, it's like, you're not perfect. It's okay to, nothing has to be, plus it's Twitter, you know, like there's so much stuff that happens in Twitter. Nobody ever sees, like there's very little risk there, but we might see you on screenshot Saturday and love what you're doing and start a conversation with you. Or, you know, another maybe adjacent piece of advice to go along with, you know, show your work is be open to the idea that your work might take you in a direction that you didn't expect. You know, we have a lot of our game developers sit down, like you said, Ryan, with this vision and great it's a it's a it's a guiding light it's a starting point but as you you know it's not like writing you know excel you know you you have a pretty clear set of goals when you sit down to make excel if you're making a game you have to build it and then you have to play it and it's this give and take between how it feels and what you thought it was going to feel like and you might discover that hey there's this really interesting thing that wasn't the impetus for the game but it's really great and if you're not open to following that you might miss out on something really interesting. Totally agree. I I didn't think there there are so many good stories. I, I, and I just was going to tell one that I think actually might be NDA. So I won't, but there's so many good stories of games that are not even in the same genre they thought they were making. Uh, and it's, it's exciting to see. So that's really interesting though. And I just kind of want to reconcile this for anybody listening. Uh, On one hand, we're saying come to the table with a vision, with a plan for what your game is going to look like, um, and what your goal is. But at the same time, you need to be flexible. Is that correct? It's on us to recognize as a publisher that you're going, like your vision might shift and we should support that to the to a, an appropriate degree. Um, but yeah, I mean, what we're looking, when I say have a plan and, and, and know what you're going for, like we know you're not necessarily going to end up where you think you're going to end up, but we want to see that you're starting from a place that you've thought out and that you've presented well and that you're easy to work with and I mean, believe it or not, that you're just good people. <laughs> like, we're going to spend a lot of time together. And if you're a jerk going to make the next greatest game, I probably don't want to spend the next 18 months of my life with you. Totally. So, that, that's, the, you, you know, joking you aside, want. I've seen many great developers who are assholes never get an opportunity because no one wants to deal with them. Uh, you're not better than anybody, guy. You know, calm down out there and, and be civil and respectful. We've said six times that this whole industry and all industries come down to relationships if you're the guy no one wants to work with, you remain the guy no one wants to work with. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's really important stuff. You're still here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> so Sean, that's, Yikes. that's yeah. We uh, we're getting the wind up signal from the imaginary producer uh, that doesn't <laughs> exist in the studio we're not at. 
uh, but we do actually have to run. So can you uh, give us a, a final plug uh, where people should go to check out your stuff, maybe one of your favorite games that you haven't discussed, and uh, where they can find you specifically on social media? ArmorGameStudios.com has all of our available and upcoming titles. Uh, you can follow our studio at ArmorGameStudio.com because Twitter didn't give us enough characters. Um, and you can, fo- you can follow me at Bacon and Games on Twitter. Um, Bacon and Games. Bacon and my, Games. Yeah, my uh, my DMs are always open if you're uh, a developer. Who oh, has that's that's a that's a scary request. But hey, throw your, throw your, shoot your shot, boys. Get well, get your uh, pitches out to to Sean here. <laughs> we'll see we'll see what happens. For now, I stand by it. If you need help, we're here. That's right. Uh, Austin, say all of Ali and mine and yours social media now, too. Uh, don't forget, Bacon and Games both go great with ketchup. Uh, so you can follow uh, what? You can follow Ryan at, at Morrison on Twitter. You can follow me at Robot Austin on Twitter. And you can follow Ali at Ali. Where can we follow you at? Wow. wow. First, you don't compliment me. <laughs> and now this. Uh, is at Ali Rothman. That's A-L-I-R-O-T-H-M-A-N. And she tweets once a month. But they're really good. <laughs> yeah, and they include coupons and discounts on uh, products. And uh, Austin, that you can follow the show, right? Oh, oh my goodness. Yes, you can uh, You can follow the show uh, down the road to where it's being recorded uh, at Robot Congress. And Wait, is, that, is it at Robot underscore Congress? Oh, my God. It's been so long. Goodbye. <laughs>